When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. to another episode of Tendy Talk. I am your host, Joe, better known as Washed Up Goalie on social media. This week was an exciting one for me as I chat with Ron Tugnut, former NHL goaltender who played in 538 NHL games for eight different teams. He recorded the first win for two different franchises, but is probably most remembered for his 70-save regular season performance against the Boston Bruins that ended in a 3-3 tie. Now, the audio on this episode wasn't great, as Ron lives a little bit out in the country. Uh, So his Zoom connection wasn't the greatest, resulting in some delays between our responses. But that didn't stop us from having what I think is a great conversation. Before I talk to Ron, though, let's take a short break. Hey, everybody. Joe here for Anchor, the podcast provider. Here's all you really need to know. One, it's free, and two, Tendy Talk uses it. Anchor has features for your podcast like voicemail and listener support that's all available free through the Anchor app or through anchor.fm. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your episodes easily from your phone or computer, then Anchor does the hard work of distributing your episode through all the major podcast distributors. That is, after you've registered with them, of course. You can also make money for your podcast. I know I will try and do so, so that I can cover simple costs like website hosting. There is no minimum listenership required for you to start earning, so you can start right away. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now, back to the show. Ron, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for taking some time out of your evening and uh, taking, you know, 
some time to talk goaltending. No yep. problem at all. I look forward to it. Yeah. And, you know, be, before we get too deep, uh, we really have to uh, give a shout out to your wife, Lisa, for helping coordinate this and getting uh, everything set up between us. Uh, very grateful for her help. Well, I'm I'm very retired right now, and I'm very removed for, from a lot of the game, but I still have a PR person in, in on staff, <laughs> and uh, she still takes care of things to organize. Yep. Where would we be without our wives, right? So, you know, the, the whole idea behind my podcast, Tendy Talk, is to talk to other goaltenders of all ages and skill levels to, you know, find out about how they found that passion for the, the game and the position um, and just kind of talk goalie to goalie, really, you know, not so much the, uh, you know, specifics of our stats and all of that, just talk about the, the love of the game. But I also like to touch a little bit on life outside of the game because that, that's just important to us and, you know, finding out what helps us uh, kind of ground ourselves and find our true north so that we can keep going. Um so I, I, I guess my first question for you, uh, even though you're Canadian and it seems like uh, just like here in Minnesota, once kids are born, they're, they're given skates and a hockey stick. How did you first get started in hockey? Well, mine was through uh, friends. Um, uh, they had kids that were playing hockey and they seen me running around, the, you know, up and down the hallways. We lived in an apartment building at the time and I was running and burning off a lot of energy. And my mom and dad were like, we got to find ways to burn energy off this kid. And they said, well, why don't you just put some skates on him and let him go play some hockey and, and join his friends because they were my best friends. And yep. um, my dad played hockey, and he was also a goalie in, like, men's league. And his men's league before he was younger, he was playing against, like, Brad Park and guys like that. And he actually played with those guys for fun. Um, but he wasn't a great goalie, but he did play. And uh, – you know, my mom said, I think that's a great idea. And they said, okay, well, the first practice is 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. <laughs> and my mom was, whoa, whoa, you know. And um, so eventually they came around and they started taking me. And I was going in dressed, half-dressed anyway to, to the rinks and um, burning off energy. And But I did it as a player to begin with, though. Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's important that goalies at the younger ages play out and a, learn to skate, but B, really understand what's going on in front of them. Because I, I've talked to other goalies, and we all agree that if you don't understand what's going on in front of you, how are you going to anticipate the play? Exactly. Um, you know, so you mentioned your dad well, played. The, the, you know, go on. Oh, yeah, I just, I'm sorry. There's a little bit of time delay on, on our calls, so I, I got thrown off where I thought it was time for me to jump in. Um, but, yeah, I did say that my dad did play. Um, he was uh, an, an old-time goalie, I guess you could say, and he loved the sport. But, uh, you know, I fell in love with it right away. And as you said, uh, playing um, as a player first, I, I truly, um, you know, enjoyed just getting out there and going. And at the beginning, there was really no games and stuff. So you're always on the ice. So I was happy. Where I changed and became a goalie was when they took me off the ice during games. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I don't want to come off the ice. And they said, well, there's only one place you can play to stay on the ice the whole game. And I didn't care if I was just standing there. I just wanted to be on it. So I played net and uh, they put me in there and I gave up 10 goals the first game. And <laughs> my parents said, he'll never do this again. 
And it was the complete opposite. I said, I was amazing out there. I can't believe how good I was. And I lost like 10 nothing. And <laughs> I thought it was the best, best thing in the world. So I decided to stay there. That That's awesome. You know, because a lot of times you just hear goalies, you know, most of us were, there was something about the equipment. We wanted to try it out. Uh, but but I like that your your journey was because you wanted to be on the ice all the time. Exactly. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, the best part of the, about the game is that, uh, you know, I, I just I enjoy getting to the rink. I enjoy the excitement. I would, I would never wake up at five in the morning for anything else other than hockey. I don't fish. I, I like golf, but I'm not getting up at five in the morning to go golf. And so uh, hockey was the one thing that I swore that would get me out of bed at 5 a.m. And I would be wide awake, excited. And I couldn't wait to get to the rank to meet my friends. I, I totally agree with that. I'm I'm not a morning person either. But if there's a escape to be had, and I'm available, I'll set that alarm. I'll get up. So once you started playing and found the position and and loved that you got to be on the ice all the time, you know, take us through that journey of how you. Uh, really learned the position and evolved into, you know, a prospect that wound up in the NHL. Well, there was a guy named George McGratton in my area who was a goalie coach. And I know people say, well, these new goalie coaches have just started everything. And, you know, that's why the position's really grown, you know, the goalie coaches. And I'm, I'm 53 years old this week. And I had a goalie coach when I was seven years old. So they've been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and I, he was more of a disciplinarian guy where when we, like, it's kind of like the way you raise your children now. Back in the day, I would screw up in practice, and he would make me hands on the ice, push-ups on the ice because I screwed up and I didn't do the right thing. And, yep. um, you know, I didn't want to screw up. I didn't want to have to do this. And, um you know, to this day, he, he has passed on, but I owe him a, a great deal of gratitude for what he did for me. Um, I needed the, the discipline. It, 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 to me, it wasn't a, a real vicious attack on me to make me do these push-ups. It was, it was more, we're going to do it right, and you're going to do it right, and this is the way it's going to be. And it was very unorthodox stuff. Uh, we had flipping and flopping. We had different things that... You definitely don't see in today's game. Yeah. But at the end, he was the one that really got me started, and that was uh, 7 a.m. on Saturday mornings. You know, after and then I knew I had to try to stay up late that night to watch hockey night in Canada. So to be up at seven skating and then try to watch an eight o'clock game, I was falling asleep halfway through the game when I was seven years old. But um, he was he was the start. My dad was also an influence uh, in that department, and um, you know, until I got to the junior ranks, anyway. You know, it's funny you mentioned the push-ups because I was coaching my son's baseball team two years ago, and these were uh, fourth graders at the time, and any ball that came by them went right through their legs. So the next day of practice, we just lined them up and started hitting grounders to them, and we told them anything through your legs, you got to do push-ups. Every single boy did a bunch of push-ups that day, but the next game, not one grounder went through their legs and the other coach looked at us and said, man, what are you guys doing with these kids? And we just said, push-ups, push-ups get, somehow it drives it into a kid's mind. I don't know why. 
Yeah, and, uh, and it also builds their upper body. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but it, it was funny. I, I uh, was talking to one of the other dads because the next year his son was on a different team, and he said the very first practice, a ball went between his legs, and he instinctively just went down to do push-ups at practice because we we continued it the rest of the year. And he, he said it was kind of funny that right away he started doing push-ups, and his new coach was looking around going, what, what's this kid doing? <laughs> That's great. So you you obviously took to the coaching, and, and it's really neat that you had a goalie coach at such a young age because I'm not much younger than you, but we didn't have goalie coaches like that when I was growing up playing hockey in Chicago. We, we had one for the association, and that was because he was a uh, – newly retired AHL goalie that was trying to kind of get his foot in the door and start his own little uh, goalie clinics in the the area. So he he came to our association for one year offering his services free of charge. But other than that, there really wasn't much instruction. And I know talking to other goalies of our era, you know, of brown leather pads and making skate saves, turning the the foot, you know, the other way that, uh, Goalie coaches just, they were far and few between. A lot of guys, it wasn't until they got to juniors or even some the NHL. So um, do you feel that that really gave you a, a step above other goaltenders in your area at the time? Yeah, it was, for me, it was an extra ice time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also a way to um, learn from someone that we believed knew more about the position than we did. Mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I, as, as I noted, I'm, I love being on the ice, and it didn't matter if, I, if there was no pucks. Like, I, I did power skating as well as a, as a young goalie. I did power skating with no pucks with goalie equipment on. Yep. And all the crossovers and the twists and the turns as players, they'd be like, well, you're not going to be out here. You're a goalie. And I said, well, I just want to be on the ice and I want to skate. So yep. um, I think that when I look at my game and the way I played, there's one thing that I don't, that I always felt gave me the best chance is that my footwork was as good as any. And the reason why is that I was doing power skating and, you know, whether it's sprinting down the ice or doing crossovers and twists and turns, you know, I just wanted to be on the ice and I, I didn't care if there was pucks or no pucks. I 100% agree with you, and I was the same way. I, if there was a power skate, and the coach said, oh, you don't have to show up. I said, well, I'm going to. Um, and I, I was usually one of the fastest skaters on the team because of that. And would, if we had to do a full lap around the ice, I was usually in the lead until we had to make that turn around the net because with our skates, you can't make the tight turns like the uh, the – the skaters. So it's just kind of like, well, I'll, I'll have you halfway. <laughs> um, you know, so as you progress, obviously you, you, you wound up making it to the NHL, which I think every kid who puts on the skates um, and these days, I would say boys and girls, their, their dream is to make it to the NHL. Um, and, you know, let's get the elephant out, you know, out of the room here, you played 16 years, over 500 games. And, you know, what, what most people think of when they think Ron Tugnut has to be the fact that um, 
you set an NHL record, and that was that you earned the first win for two different franchises, Anaheim and Columbus. Um, you know, what when you think back to that and try and wrap your mind around it, you know, that that's not an easy feat by any means to, to get it for two different teams. But at the same time, when we think expansion teams, we don't think of teams like Vegas, where they – got lucky you know we think of expansion teams like ottawa and columbus and anaheim where those early years are are really tough uh what was it like being on those teams and being part of um you know really building a tradition well you know the first years were always easy because the expectations were low. So um, you'd kind of come in there and whenever you'd win, it would be a party on the street, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, the expectations were low, you know, for us going to those places. Columbus was, I think, um, then, well, actually, you know, the Ducks was, I'd say the same too. Like both, both places, we felt um, that we'd gathered pieces that we could at least give a fight and chance defensively. We just didn't think we'd ever score, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you'd fill your team with non-talented players because everybody kept their talented players. But what we got is the, you know, the blue-collar guys that would just go up and compete. And But those guys would only get 10 goals a season, some of them, right? So, right. Um, you know, we knew it was going to have to be a low-scoring game. We knew our defense had to be good. We knew the goalie had to be good. Uh, but – you know, I, I would love to say that I had the first two wins for, say, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks, Blackhawks and Toronto Maple Leafs, but I know I got for two expansion teams, you yeah. know, and, and I don't know how much more expansion there's going to be, but, um, you know, even now I sit there and look, I go, I wonder if Flurry's going to go to, you know, Seattle, you know, I, that gives him – but he's still going to have to find another team to get another win with. So it yeah. might be something that stick around for a while. Yeah. That, you know, I was thinking that too with Flurry. there's a speculation he may end up in Seattle, you know, could, could he tie that record um, by chance? Uh, but you got the win in, you know, both of those uh, cities, but you also played for Ottawa in the early years too. So you, you know, I, as I think about it, you know, some players might look at it and go, well, I, I just got bumped from expansion team to expansion team. But when those teams are building, they're really building from the net out. So you had to think in the back of your mind, you know, these organizations wanted me and they were, they were trying to build the team around me. Did it feel like that? And, you know, were you excited to go to these new cities and help, um, bring that excitement to those fans? Well, I think um, Anaheim was different. There was uh, six goalies drafted, and uh, I was the third for the Ducks. So Glenn Healy and Guy Bear were drafted mm-hmm. ahead of me. So that led me to believe that I was now third. Um, but their, their move was to get three goalies because that was the best trading value. And they wanted Guy Bear and mm-hmm. as their starter. And they they were willing to trade Healy to get a piece of another trade, um, so that made me the backup to to um, Gear. Now Gee started the season, you know, we lost the first two couple of games, and they said, okay, you're going to win now in Edmonton, and 
that was our first game, my first game, and we won. You know, so that's why I probably beat him to the punch there. Um, but the, the Columbus one was different because I signed as a, as a free agent. Um, you know, I'd like to get that kind of parting gift for myself is that I went to an expansion team uh, because of what they could pay me and what I was going to make because for the next so many years I was going to need that time to live off of. And so it was different going there as a, as a free agent guy, knowing that they were definitely needing me to be cornerstone to get them to be competitive. Uh, they did sign some other guys, Lyle line the captain, free agent signing. And, um, you know, we built a pretty good team there. Uh, so, you know, the end of the first year with, with Columbus, uh, we were we were knocking on the door actually for a playoff spot, which was yep. uh, quite good. Yeah, so I, I remember that because I've got uh, family in Columbus actually, and so I, I followed that organization since day one. And um, I, I was reading recent some, you know, doing my homework, and I was reading that uh, you, you spoke fondly of your time in Columbus and in the one article I read, whether they were telling the truth or not, said it was one of your favorite cities to play in. What made Columbus so special at that time? Well, you know, I'm going to, you know, I I think Columbus to me was like a small Canadian city. Mm -hmm. And, and I felt very at home there with my family, felt very safe uh, with our kids being able to walk up and down the street at night, even. Uh, it was an area that uh, I felt uh, felt very much a, 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 like home, and um, you know I think that if I would have played the full years, um, I think we would be still living there. Um, but uh, being traded two years in, I think that changed everything, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why Canada's home again. But um, you know, the funny part of that the story. Uh, and I'll share it with you, is that very first year they, they did a bunch of uh, spoofs on, on um, you know, the election, it was election year. Yep. And uh, they used me and a bunch of things to be get, become president of the United States, which I got votes for. So <laughs> I'm Canadian, and at the time I was under 35, and I had votes to be the president of the United States. And, uh, they go, you can't be serious. Said, no, it can't happen. People voted me in, and they voted me in, and I got votes, and, you know, I lost to Mickey Mouse and so forth, but still, I got some votes. That Yeah, I remember reading that, and, uh, you know, it, it was a great marketing effort by Columbus, and it, it's, you know, something you get to talk about, saying, hey, you, you had people that wanted you to be president, which is even even better. Um, and I agree, Columbus is a, it's almost a hidden gem in that it's a really nice small town. Um, and, uh, as long as you're okay with Buckeye football during the fall, you're going to be fine there. (laughs) You know, every, every time. Well, I can tell you the year that, um, our first year there, Mm -hmm. our, our first year there, um, was one of the worst years the Buckeyes had. In many years, so we got the chance to be at the forefront um, because the Buckeyes actually had a terrible year, which does not happen very often. So 
but I did I did spend many a day Saturdays going to watch uh, high football, especially in Michigan. Yep, you know it's funny. Every time I've flown into Columbus, we've flown over the horseshoe, and I think it's probably some kind of FAA regulation that whatever landing pattern you make, it has to fly over the horseshoe when you're going into Columbus. It's the darndest thing. In fact, my my uncle who lives there, uh, he's such a Buckeye fan that he doesn't leave the house without a Buckeye nut in his pocket. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, he he's one of those Buckeye fans. Uh, he's he's been married to my aunt for gosh, probably thirty five years now, and he's still upset with me because I wore a Michigan T shirt to their wedding reception. <laughs> I'm sure you did that on purpose. Yeah, I did, and he knew it. I, I was like maybe seven or eight years old at the time, and he knew that I did it on purpose, and that was my own my own decision, not my dad's. (laughs) So when I said, let's uh, address the elephant in the room, you probably thought I was going to ask about, uh, you know, the the record you're, everybody knows you for, and that's the 70 save uh, performance against Boston. Uh, You've been on record talking about it. So I, I don't want to get into everything you've talked about before. Um, But, you know, I, I've played games where I've seen 50 to 60 shots because um, my high school team, as much as I, I loved them, uh, they, they weren't very good. Um, so I, I know some of the feeling. How were you feeling during that game? Did, did you realize at some point you were seeing that, that much rubber or did it just feel like, hey, I, I'm kind of in the zone here? Well, I knew going into that game it was going to be tough. We were the last place team in the league, and they were first. Yep. And the Boston Garden was a smaller strike, so things happened way quicker there. I expect I was going to see some rubber that night. Um, I didn't expect that much. Uh, but uh, as the game went on, uh, I think the novelty of what was going on kind of took over to the point that everybody was like, this is getting crazy, and it's almost like Boston wanted to shoot more. And at times, I was looking at my bench, going, "Are you are you wanting their shots on me? Is this how we're doing?" So, um, you know, but uh, I, I couldn't have felt that whole new experience. I couldn't feel any better than I did. The energy and the way the puck looked slow, everything just seemed to be clicking. And um, when I look at that team, we had a really young team in Quebec that. A lot of those guys went on to win the Stanley Cup, not me, but they didn't win it. Um, you know, and there was a lot of guys on that team that went won that cup. So uh, we had stars there. They just weren't ready to to participate at the NHL level yet. Yep. And uh, years later, they're all in the Hall of Fame, I think, and, you know, for good reason. You know, it, it's fun to watch the replays of that game because – there's almost a turning point where you can tell the Boston crowd was behind you, almost cheering you on. Um, Even though you were the goalie for the other team, they were um, definitely appreciating what was happening before their eyes. Yeah. And and part of that too was uh, Guy Lafleur was his last game in Boston garden. I was playing with Guy, which was another highlight of my career. I think, and, 
Um, you know, he got an ovation really late in the third period because they thought if there's a goal, this is his last shift. Yep. Uh, so he got a huge ovation. And he broadcasters, because I've watched the game, I think it was Sanderson and, and somebody else, they said, oh, Ron, getting an ovation from the Boston crowd, but it wasn't for me, it was for me. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the broadcaster thought it was for me. Um, but I got mine with like eight seconds to go, and I made probably the luckiest, best catch save of the night on Ray Bork with like eight seconds to go. And that's when I got the crowd um, completely, you know, like an ovation from the crowd, which was uh, a little humbling. But, um, you know, to that day, I always said I wanted to play for the Boston Bruins after that day because I could never go wrong if I went and moved to Boston and played there. Yeah. Um, you know, how did you feel after the game? You know, because I, I've read, um, you know, the, the next topic I want to talk about is the five overtime game you played. Um, you know, were your legs as dead after that 70 save game as they were after that five overtime game? Or how, how were you feeling after that? Oh, no, I, I was energetic after the Boston game. And, uh, two nights later, and I think it was Hartford and Normal text. I played. I felt great. Uh, I think I got Player of the Week that week. Uh, we won. I nothing at home or something to Hartford, and I think I got the NHL Player of the Week, which was you know a huge highlight and yeah. um, for a team that was in last and so forth. But uh, you know that was a six-five minute game. The um, you know the five overtime game was a whole beat where it was more battling your body and your mind. And uh, I really never recovered from that uh, to get myself back in the series to be able to help my team after that game. I, think I just, I was a small guy. I lost 12 pounds in one night and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find a way to put some weight back on and be able to feel um, energetic again wasn't easy. And um, I just don't think, I think that kind of did me in. If we would have won, I think it might have made a difference. It sounds fine, but mentally we would have been up 3-1 and maybe we could have squeezed out another win and be done with it and yep. and move on. But that tied the series. Uh, I think that gave us advantage to them. You know, you've mentioned you lost 12 pounds in that game and it was hard to get it back on. How long did it take you to get back to your normal weight after that? Well, a few days. Um, but you know, we're not the conditioned athletes that they are now. You know, I don't think an NHL guy would lose 12 pounds because he doesn't have that much water and fat on him to burn. <laughs> you know, I think back in the day, we weren't as in good shape. So um, we could afford to lose some, but um, my body just wasn't um, where it's used to being and mm-hmm. feeling. Um, you know, I, I know that my playing weight, my best playing weight was 156 pounds. Uh, that's what I played at is 156. And I could tell you without stepping on a scale that I was over that weight or I was under that weight by the way I felt. And yep. I'd only be over or under by two pounds. There's a difference. Uh, you know, so as now they're much the same except for their systems. They're, they're both bodies are machines and they're perfectly tuned and they're Ferraris and um, you know, something to be said about that, but, you know, longevity, I, I didn't have any injuries. You know, maybe there's something to be said that my kind of body style reflected not, like, not as many injuries as today's athletes that are like Ferraris and are tight. Yep, I, I've 
done a lot of reading about that and how some experts do believe that these guys have almost overtrained to the point where it's easier to get injured because those muscles are just so tight that there's no give. And uh, I remember the uh, baseball pitcher, Rod Beck, he was a closer for many years and he was known for um, looking more like he would have just walked out of a uh, trucker bar than he did walking out of a baseball clubhouse. And he never hit the disabled list during his career. And somebody once asked him, you know, what, what was his secret of staying healthy? And he laughed and he said, well, you can't pull fat. <laughs> um, I, I remember reading about that five overtime game that uh, you'd mentioned that there was bacon in the locker room. Was that normal in those days to have bacon between periods or was it just they were trying to find whatever they could to feed you guys between periods? Well, because we were burning all the fat. I think he must have thought, let's put the fat back in. Um, but he- yeah, they were just like, there was people in there. There was, uh, they were just constantly trying to find food um, guys to, to keep going. And, um, you know, some guys ate, some guys didn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't one to be doing something like that. I was more Gatorade and water and um, just trying to keep my hydration levels. Some guys were eating the bacon. They didn't, it didn't bother them a bit at all. You know, eating pepperoni pizza, I was like, I'd be like having heartburn out there if I had something like that. Yeah, I, I was the same way. I, on game day, for whatever reason, I didn't even want to eat. It was just I couldn't eat on game day for whatever reason. But after that game, whew, I put it. I made up for it. So I, I was listening to the yeah, – uh, the, um, Go on. Yeah, I, I, on game days, I'd have a huge meal around 12, 31 o'clock. And that would be the only thing I'd eat the entire day until after the game when I could go and have chickens and beer. <laughs> you know, now, now that I'm playing beer league hockey, um, there's something to be said about that post-game beer where it just it tastes better than most beers. It doesn't even matter what they bring. It, it's going to be pretty darn good. I, I was listening to the episode of Six Degrees with Mike McKenna when he had you on, and you guys were talking about uh, goalie equipment and how the equipment today compared to um, – when you played, uh, it, it's it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, goalies, young goalies today, they're not getting bruises like we did when we were younger. Um, in fact, I remember I met Steve Larmer when I was a squirt and at a uh, gathering, and somebody told him I was a goalie, and he jokingly goes, prove it, show me your bruises. And, of course, I had enough of them all over me because my chest protector was that two-piece or the arms were one piece, and then the belly piece looked like a baseball catcher's chest protector. So I, I had plenty of them. Uh, but in that interview, you said, you know, kids today, they don't have the fear of getting hurt. Uh, and that that might be something that they're missing today, that that, that could – that maybe made us better goalies because we had that fear. We were maybe a little bit quicker with our hands and our feet because of that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's just, um, I think goalies of uh, yesteryear were, were more trying to break uh, pucks and, and and eat pucks and, rather than just lock pucks. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously the game evolved and, and the styles changed and goalie coaches were a big part of that. And, uh, goalies went from small, quick guys to to 
big, quick, big, quick guys um, that, uh, you know, really to beat them, you have to either beat them through a five ball early or you got to put it maybe under the arms if you're lucky. Yep. Um, or you got to make a hell of a shot. And, you know, I think that in, the, in our, in my early years that you could get beat with a shot, you know, that's six, six inches inside the post. And in today's game, you get beat six inches inside the post and they're just thinking, should we pull them now or should we give them one more? Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I think that they do cover a lot of net and everybody shows pictures out there, of the goalies before and the goalies of, of today. And there's definitely more net to shoot at on any goalie in the old days than there is now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the players do shoot harder. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, there, there was more net to shoot at before, um, uh, you know, and I don't think the answer is to go to a bigger net. It doesn't make sense. Um, they keep trying to refine the equipment to to make the boy make the guys protected, but yet give more net, and it's a it's it's, it's a tough war to fight. I, I think if they'd go back to uh, you know wood sticks, almost treat hockey like they do baseball, where through the youth ranks you can use some, the composites, but at a certain age. You got to use a wood stick so that the goalies aren't going to absolutely get annihilated. And then you could reduce the size of some of this equipment back to, you know, the sizes of the eighties and early nineties. I I think that would work. You know, yeah. Some teams might say, well, our stick budget's going to be blown up, but they'd probably find out that their stick budget's cut in half because you can buy probably a half dozen wooden sticks for the price of one composite these days. Yeah, but don't forget, um, you know, in the late 80s, uh, a guy named McGinnis shot the puck 105 miles an hour with a wooden stick. And yep. Ally Afraidy shot the puck 105 with a, you know, so it's not like they can't bring the heat and we were we were still wearing that same equipment. Yeah. I got to tell you, when they wound up, they had all of our attention and it was like, I just hope I can survive this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in today's game, the guy who's 506, the goalies are like dialed right in, like, come on, bring it. I, you can't hurt me. Yeah. And uh, there's no issue with you trying to blow this by me, but if I get a piece of it, I'm popping it. And, um, you know, masks. Have, I, the one thing is that I think the masks have stayed pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came in, it was, you, they built it on your face yep. um, with fiberglass, and it was heavier. Um, for the most part, even when I went into more genetic ones where they just put foam inside them and the outside shell was all the same, I still felt pretty safe and secure in those. It was just more like your shoulders and, mm-hmm. you know, back then we either go down, maybe our knees get exposed or, or whatever. And there's certain areas of the body that if it got you there, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't going to be good, you know. But, yeah. Um, but everything, you know, players now have these one-piece sticks, and every guy shoots at 100, 105 miles an hour. And 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 sometimes those guys are shooting it on snapshots, so not even full slap shots. Yep. So that's pretty important. Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely a different game when, when we start talking the physics of it, that's for sure. Now, you, you mentioned the masks, and uh, that's a perfect segue because – I think when most people think of Ron Tugnut, they think of your fierce flash 
painting that tr traveled with you from team to team. But the, the story behind it is it was a nod to, you know, the, the owners of the Canadians when you were with them, Molson. Um, you know, so I, I love that part of it. But what I also love is, you know, goalies of your, you know, the era, era of when you played, you, you guys had designs that it didn't matter what team you played on, you were able to bring it with you. You know, you think of uh, Felix Potvin, Eddie Belfour, um, even Curtis Joseph, although there was a time while he was in Edmonton that he he had the tribute with the splash to you. What did you think when you saw Cujo come out with the splash on his mask? Well, of all the places, I didn't think it would be Edmonton. I think I think Grand Pier also had like a splash or something like or, or dropped oils or or something his as well. And I know you know Edmonton Oilers was always a simple. Um, oil splash kind of thing, you know, but the, the Montreal was, uh, we were looking searching for something and uh, it's such a traditional uniform, such a traditional logo, trying to find something that would really mix in nice with that was, you know, I said, well, I know it's not the colors of beer or nothing, but we can still have a splash effect. And, and for me, I, I always said that I was a, a pretty outgoing person. I, I love to laugh. I love to joke. And to me, splashing, and that was a sign of having fun. And, you know, so I said, well, let's try that. So I did that there, and then it just continued on after that. Um, you know, Ottawa, obviously, like, dropped the mask and a logo of melted gold, yep. you know, and that's what it was, is like a splash. And, you know, Pittsburgh's uh, penguin poo, you know, like... <laughs> It's like splashing all over and, and yep. it just kept going on and on and you know i just i like the design of the mask and uh, i've had a few people say that uh you know it's one of their favorites yeah. just because they, they just knew what it, who it was and what it was and and uh, you know it was passed along as you said from one team to another Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's what i loved about masks of that era is you know you guys stuck with the design concept no matter where you were and as a viewer we could tell who was in the net just by looking at the mask we didn't have to look at the number where you know goaltenders today in the nhl seem to get a new mask every four or five weeks um you know th there's a few that stick with one you know Corey crawford i think is uh, an obvious one and flurry th those two guys tend to stick with the design but uh, it's not something that they can take from team to team. That, that's the difference. Um, you know, that, that's going to be the interesting thing with Henrik Lundqvist, I think, is what's he going to have in um, Washington now? Is he going to try and incorporate that crown, or what's he going to do? Well, I'm sure he's going to have the White House on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think so. Um, you know, it'd be interesting if he had, you know, some kind of homage to, say, Don Beaupre and how he had the uh, the Capitol building on his helmet. Yeah, I think there's a few things that Henrik's going to be able to do there. Uh, I don't think he's going to go too crazy, though. He's, he's going to just look at the history of the area and, and come up with things like that. And um, I'm really interested to see how he does this year, I think. Uh, on a really good team, and he's older, but less ice time. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not the guy standing playoff time. They actually mm -hmm. start the first game, but, you know, with 
a lesser ice time with a better team. Yep. I had to laugh that uh, one of his first public comments was telling uh, Alexander Ovechkin that he's not going to uh, step in there for one-timers in practice. <laughs> yeah, he's seen enough of them over the years. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I don't remember where I read this, but uh, one of your former Columbus teammates said uh, was quoted saying that off the ice – you don't look like an NHL starting goalie, but rather the team's accountant. Do you recall hearing that at the time back in the day? And what did you think about it if you did? Yeah, I've had, I've had that a few times because um, I wore glasses and yeah. um, I wore contacts when I played. And in 2003, I had Lincoln's so I didn't have either of them. But before that, I was a C guy. You know, as I said, I played at 156 mm-hmm. and um, uh, 510 you know, 156 and, you know, like I walk around and my suits would look tight and, and, and stuff because I was small and, and, you know, I look like someone that maybe should have been on Wall Street and making investments or doing taxes or something. But, um, you know, <laughs> like, it's, it's fun to, to, to deny what you're saying because, yeah, I can't, but <laughs> at the end of the day, Day when I put all the equipment on and uh, I felt so um, after retiring well before we get to that uh, I, I'm always curious talking to pro athletes you know at, at some point you retire and uh, as uh, the guys I'm spitting chicklets to point out sometimes it's, it's not um, your choosing but uh, it's an injury or management um, but at, at what point did you kind of sit back and go, you know what, it's been a fun ride. Maybe it's time for me to step away. What, what was that, you know, um, point for you where it was just that realization? I think um, when I signed the deal in Columbus, uh, it was four years, and that was going to take me to 36. And in my mind, I said, I think that's going to be my, uh, you know, salute and, and see you later, sayonara. And, mm-hmm. um you know, as we started playing the first few years, we were really good in Columbus, and I was like, you know, I might be able to play longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really playing well, and I feel good about my game. And, you know, and um, Doug McLean called and said, look, it's, it's time. You've done your job. You've helped Mark the knee, and you know, you've been the perfect soldier to help him along and turn him into a number one. He's ready, and it's time for you to move on. So he says, I have two places. It's it's Buffalo or, or Dallas. And, you know, I looked at the situations. And at the time, you know, to me, Dallas had a young, unproven guy in, in Turco. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I think that that's the place I should go. And my mind, I was going to go there and be the number one guy and help him along. But I don't think I was ready to see what kind of goalie he was and how good he was and what he could do that I couldn't do and how much I felt that the team wanted him in the net over me. And, uh, you know, he had a, he had a puck playing skill that was off the charts and he was stopping a lot of pucks, you know, like he, he, he was sensational. And yep. He took the net and he ran with it and, and I couldn't get it. And, you know, so that, that was when I started realizing, that, okay, now I'm in a spot that I'm a backup and it's very end and I'm backup. Um, but I still want to be that good guy. I still want to be the guy that can mentor him and, 
and kind of help him and move him in the right direction. But I, I think he's already exceeded me as from a talent standpoint mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, he, he's, he, he's an all-star goalie. And, and I just, uh, you know, I, I continue to work hard and I won't like he needed any days off, you know, so, uh, my my bus was fun. I enjoyed it. I would have liked to have played more, uh, but uh, I would say more than anything that Marty uh, basically took over. And I think uh, the first year I was in Dallas, his goals against was one point seven. You know, that year when I was thinking I was fighting for the number one job and he just took it well and he he was in an interesting position too because i mean the organization let eddie belfour uh walk because they they believed in him uh so he 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 definitely had some uh pressure on him to succeed and he uh he answered it that's for sure so after retiring you've i've read you've been active in coaching as well you know at the junior levels and with hockey canada did you always know you'd get into coaching or was it uh, something you were approached uh, about afterwards and thought, yeah, I can do that? Well, I think, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I was kind of coaching uh, as I was going uh, mm-hmm. with younger goalies. And, you know, so I, I was building relationships and I was, um, you know, working with young goalies and trying to bring them and, um you know, so it was kind of an easy uh, transition into coaching, but that was from the Hockey Canada standpoint with uh, our World Junior program and stuff. But I also did a year of uh, color commentating with Hockey Night in Canada mm-hmm. uh, when I first retired, and that was way more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> so I felt more comfortable in the coaching format, and again, being like the young kid I was, being on the ice again because that's where I felt at ease. That's where I felt I could be myself mm-hmm. and that's where I felt I could help. So, um, you know, so I did that with the world junior program and I worked with the Peterborough peach junior team, mm-hmm. uh, one year in Oshawa, uh, with the generals junior team. Um, so I stayed involved that way. And, and then I decided to, uh, take it to another level where I wanted to actually coach, um, not just goalies, but, mm-hmm. you know, coach teams and you know, like a coach and, and so I was coaching kids minor hockey, both my children, and um, helping their teams and coaching their teams. And, um, you know, and then as they got older, I, I continued to want to coach. And so I got a provincial junior re- level here, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed that. I liked that age group. Um, you know, it was fun. Uh, you know, so um, I, I miss it because I'm not doing it now. Um you know, I do miss it, but uh, I think it's time for me to retire and work on my golf game. <laughs> what did you enjoy most about coaching? Um, I just think the, the compete, like even though I wasn't playing, I still felt like, you know, when we lost, I felt uh, I was a big part of the loss. And when we won, I felt like uh, I pulled all the right strings and did all the right things. And mm-hmm. um, so I felt good about that, um, you know, but uh, it was definitely – way easier to play than it is to coach. Um, I felt as a goalie, I had way more control over outcomes than I do as a coach. But, 
you know, I, I like to just actually being in the dressing room, you know, talking hockey and, and, and doing things like that. That's stuff I like to do because that's what I grew up doing and yep. that's what I was accustomed to. So um, everybody wants to go back to what makes them feel at home and, you know, hockey did that for me. I, I agree because when I graduated college, I, I did some high school coaching here in Minnesota and it, it was I, – I didn't necessarily miss – playing games and all of that, but it was the uh, practice and the uh, the fun had at practice and the locker room stuff that I missed. And, uh, you know, so that that's where being able to coach, you're able to get some of that and feed that part of your, your soul, I guess you could say. Um, so we've talked a lot about hockey. And as I mentioned early on, one of the uh, other sides of this podcast is to find out, you know, what other goalies do to keep themselves grounded uh, away from the game? And I, you mentioned your golf game, so obviously that's part of it. But what else do you do um, to fill your time and, you know, that you enjoy away from the game of hockey? Well, I'm, I do love the summers. Um, you know, we, we live up on cottage country in Peterborough area, and uh, we, we boat and we jet ski and – um, swim off the dock kind of stuff and yep. that's all stuff that we love to do and um, you know unfortunately we don't get 12 months a year of that here in Canada yep. so come come winter time I, I like to take the odd trip down south and do a four or five day golf trip a couple times a year just to you know see the sun and, and have some fun but um, also uh, you know both my guys they, they were playing college hockey and driving down south to watch them play out uh, when my oldest guy was playing in net and driving down there and watching him play. And then if he wasn't playing, then I'd go see the other one. And, and it was just a, you know, I woke up Friday mornings not knowing which place I was driving to, but I was going to one of them. Yep. And um, you know, do that a lot of time to, to, to catch them playing. And, you know, we could catch their games on the, you know, on the internet, but it's just, it's not the same. You know, it's, uh, you got like to see something, you know, you, you want to see everything and to do that, you got to be there to see it. And, and more importantly, see them after the game and, and, you know, give them a hug and maybe, maybe a, a, a dinner or something because yeah. uh, they're not home for the whole winter. Well, your, your boy Jake actually played uh, college hockey at my alma mater, St. Mary's. Um, so that, that, that was uh, one of my favorite rinks to ever play at. It was just a, a nice atmosphere on game day, that's for sure. In St. Mary's? Yep. Yeah, I, I was, uh, as I joke, I was a four-year JV All-Star there. Um, in fact, my episode that launched uh, this week that we're recording was with uh, my goalie coach at the time, who's still the sports information director there, Donnie Netto. Uh, and one of the questions I asked him was, what were you guys thinking when you chose me to be on the team? Because we had uh, – 24 goalies trying out that year for six spots and somehow I got the sixth, sixth spot and uh, I held on to it for four years. Yeah. And then they had that rink with the, all that rink behind the net. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I, I like that you point that out because it was that Olympic rink and uh, at practice we'd practice wraparounds and I'd get that big strong push to get to the wall to stop it. And then our first, uh, well, my first game at, uh, it was Gustavus. They had a tiny rink that w it was almost like the old Chicago stadium in that it wasn't uh, even a regulation NHL rink. So they 
made up where they could. And that first puck that they run around the boards, I got that big, strong push. I hit the boards, I bounced off and the puck went flying by me. And my coach was uh, standing on the bench laughing and at intermission, he goes, I knew I forgot to tell you something about this rink. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, So one of the things I'm doing to end out every episode is uh, I got a list of about 10 rapid fire questions that I ask everybody, just uh, some fun questions to give us a little bit of uh, insight into your personality or things you've seen. Uh, so the first question is, what's the craziest coaching moment you saw in your playing days? And as I've been prefacing it, is uh, kind of that Mike Keenan throwing the sticks on the ice, having a rant type of tirade. I, I think the funniest thing I saw was, uh, you know, our massage therapist actually was yipping at Ty Domi. <laughs> and he was going off on him, going off. And, and then all of a sudden, Ty went to – come and hit someone right in front of our bench and he on purpose whacked his stick right over the top of the trainer's head and dropped them. <laughs> and, uh, and and then that was by far the funniest thing because we knew he did it on purpose mm-hmm. and he was on the bench and he's laughing at him and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember that clearly and how funny that was. <laughs> and and how did the trainer take that after? Oh, he, he he had he needed stitches on the top of the head, so he got it pretty good. Uh, it was he was he he left the bench and he came back and he holding like around his head and stuff. And and Ty was on the bench laughing at him. And uh, yeah, I, we all just said, "Oh my." <laughs> Uh, the, the next question is what's your favorite all time mask? It could be yours or a, another goal is that you just thought, you know, that, that, that's the best one. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, Jill's Gratton. It's, uh, it was the old style where you just had the eyes. Yeah. And it, it looked the, like the a lion, wasn't it? Like a nap. Oh yeah. It was sick looking like yeah. that in that era to have that. Mask, yep. It was really sick. And I've heard some stories about him that he was, uh, he made most of us goalies look a little bit normal, that he, he had a few more screws loose than most of us. So they said it, it really fit him. Well, he, that, that mask, just because of the design I love, but my true favorite would have probably been Bernie Perrant because he was my idol. Yep. Even though it was just a white mask with just the two little on the side. Yeah. Uh, just that style of mask. But a lot of those guys wore just the white mask with the little eyes. Or yep. I love them. Uh, what is your favorite stick that you used in your playing days? Oh, wow. That, that'll date me. Um, Hespler's. Mm. The, uh, there was an original maker called Hespler. Yep. And then they came back um, and they made them again. And it was uh, the weight of it and everything, how light it was, and how, how it was just perfect every time time yep um plus they gave me a leather jacket to use it i thought that that was pretty good well and if i'm not mistaken uh those were the sticks that uh gretzky used at the end of his career as well not the goalie stick obviously but <laughs> no, he did use hesplers um you're right and i think he was part owner of the business at the time okay um so th- this is a fun one uh for us i i like to say us seasoned goalies uh what was your favorite youth hockey memory oh uh youth hockey memory um 
That's a good point. That, I enjoyed so much of my youth hockey. It's it's tough to like we we won the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, but I got benched in the final games, so oh. that ruined that. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had we had a goalie that had a beard at twelve, and he <laughs> he he was the starter. <laughs> so it was a you know achievement for winning, I think, because I. Um, you know, we won the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, but, um, you know, minor hockey stuff. I, to me, the last two or three years, uh, I looked forward to playing against Sean Burke. Okay. It was yeah. Sean Burke and I in the same league, toe to toe. He was with St. Mike's and I was with Toronto Red Wings. And I could not wait for those games because I wanted to look at him at the other end and play against them because I knew how good he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so those, those are the times that I cherish the most. Yep. No, I, I get that. Um, so th- this next question is one that uh, has been amusing is, uh, what's the best chirp you, you heard in your playing days? The would have been against Buffalo in the, uh, the playoffs. Um, it wasn't an actual chirp from a player, but they, from the top rafters, they had this big sheet that they spray painted on. And they said, when the wheels are falling off, check your tug nuts. <laughs> and that was, I sent the trainer to try to buy the, the sheet and they wouldn't give it to him. But I thought I, I was going to hang that in my garage or something, you know, because playoff time, we're, we're, we're driving into the rink and they got a car out there and my name's on the car and yep. they're beating up the car. And then I go in there and there's a red sheet with, when the wheels are falling off, check your tug nuts and I said, that's perfect. That, yeah, that, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. When I was playing, it's not like I got uh, many fans chirping at me, but it, there was just something when, when they did, I, I felt like, all right, I'm, I'm getting under their skin, and it almost made me want to play better. So For sure. Uh, what was the worst post-game beer that you've uh, had the liberty of drinking? Worst post-game beer? Yep. Is there such is there such a thing as a bad beer? You know, you and I are in the same camp. Uh, for me, the, the closest thing to a bad post game beer is when it's warm. When the guys, uh, sh- you know, they they realize on the way to hockey that they didn't have any at home, and so they stop and pick some up from the store, but they don't pull it out of the cooler. To me, that that's that's the closest you can get to a bad beer. Well, we had in Quebec, um, geez, what was the name of it? It was a 7% alcohol beer. Um, it was a black label, I think it was called. Oh. And it was it's like 7% beer, and it was so bad. And the trainer had it in the room after the, the game. And I was with Quebec, of course, so losing was a, a regular occurrence. So the trainer said, hey, win or lose, there's always booze. <laughs> so... <laughs> so I had one of those there, so I guess that would classify as the worst one. Now, knowing you're a uh, a kind of sewer of beer like myself, next time you're in Columbus, they have a new brewery there called Brew Dogs, and uh, they have a hotel connected to the brewery that has tap handles in every room and fridges in the shower for your beer. Um, but they have some really good beers there, and some of them go down really smooth, but are in the double digits for the, uh, 
ABV. So you got to be careful when you go there. <laughs> so I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was my, uh, like you said, my, I have family there. And when my grandmother passed away, I, I flew out there and I wasn't at my uncle's house more than 15 minutes before he told me and my dad to get in the car and we're pulling out of the garage. And I just said, how long is it to the brewery? And he looks back at me, he goes, how do you know where we're going? I said, because I know you and my dad and I know me, I know where we're going. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I sampled a few of their beers and I liked every single one of them. <laughs> um, so when you tape your stick, do you go heel to toe or toe to heel? I go toe to heel. Okay. Now, why do you do that? Well, because like I tape my entire stick um, yep. all the way up around the heel. And at the heel, there's a special art that I always did the same thing. Yeah. Um, and, and it just fit perfectly. Okay. Uh, but I always left a little piece of the stick showing that no one would really see. Okay. So there was one imperfection on the stick that I would leave open, and it would be such a small amount that no one would ever see it. But I did it on purpose all the time. But you knew it was there. Well, which, I knew it was there, and I did it on purpose. Which means now I'm going to have to go back and look, look at old photos to uh, see if I can spot it in any of them. Well, you won't see it because it's on the back side of my stick. Oh, oh, <laughs> um, so uh, only two more quick questions. Uh, next one is, uh, what was your favorite number to wear? Uh, I guess 31, but I always wore one um, growing up. Mm -hmm. um, for me, that was the last one for number one for the Montreal Canadiens before they retired the number. So I was the last guy to wear it. Um, maybe I shouldn't have asked for that number when I went there. <laughs> um, um, I was the last guy to wear it, and I think they put that number into retirement after I wore it. <laughs> um, but uh, 31 became my number, I think, yeah. um, you know, in my later years where um, I, I, I seemed to have got on a roll with it, and I said, that's going to be my number. I like it. Now, the last question um, is my favorite one to ask. What advice do you have for young goaltenders? Well, I, I think the, the advice is, you know, you have to be yourself and don't, uh, um, don't get caught up in, uh, you want goalie coaching, but you don't want over goalie coaching. Uh, you want to bring your style and your game out because that's what you believe in and that's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. and don't waver from that. If, if Dominic Kashuk would have wavered on it, we never would have saw what we saw. Yeah. You know, so um, I, I believe that uh, your personality as a goalie has to come out. You have to be what you are and, and, and make that the best you can be. And, but in the meantime, you have to have a base to fall back on that gives you some sort of credibility. I think, um, you know, to, to get you through some tough times. Absolutely. That that's great advice for young goaltenders. Um, Ron, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, a fantastic discussion. Um, and again, thank you to your wife for helping set this up. It, it's been uh, uh, really fun and I appreciate your time. No problem. Joe. Thanks for having me. What a treat to talk to a former NHL goaltender that I spent quite some time 
watching as a young goaltender myself. Thank you again to Ron, and we can't forget to thank his lovely wife for helping us coordinate things to make this episode happen. You can find Ron on Twitter at rontugnut 31 You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube simply by searching for Washed Up Goalie, and I'll pop up. Visit washedupgoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, my beer league hockey video highlights when I'm not injured, and all podcast episodes. If you want some Washed Up Goalie or Tendy Talk apparel, be sure to click on the shop link as well. I need to give a big thank you to the hockey band The Zambonis for allowing me to use their music in my intro and when I close out all my episodes. Download their music on iTunes or listen to them wherever you stream music. I'm working on lining up other goalies to talk to, so if you are a goalie or have connections to one I should talk to, shoot me an email at washedupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. And let's not forget, if you're a brand who wants to sponsor this show, be sure to reach out to me. I'll be happy to talk to you and figure something out. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck. Hockey week!